happy October. We've made it through another month, and it's time for another episode of the Hops and Spirits podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Green. We've got a great lineup today. We'll talk to Adam Hall of Boulevard Brewing. And for our six-pack, we talked to country duo uh, Everett. They have a brand-new album out uh, this weekend, so it'll be a fun one. That's coming up here in just a second. Remember, starting next week, we kick off our Whiskey Weeks. That's right, Whiskey Weeks with an S presented by Obergatlinburg. Our very first episode features George Dickel's Nicole Austin. It'll be a fun time, and we also have a lot of fun going on with the Whiskey Week. So make sure you're following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Hop Spirits, all one word. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're on social media. You want to follow us along there. Now, let's not waste any time, and let's get to the six-pack. Joining us now for a six-pack of questions is Brent Rupert and Anthony Olympia, better known as the country duo Everett. Their new album, Kings of the Dairy Queen Parking Lot Side A, debuts drops tomorrow, Friday, October 2nd. Depending on when you're listening to it, it might be available now. So once you're done listening to this, you need to check it out if you already haven't. Now, my very first question for you guys is hops or spirits? Are you drinking beer, bourbon, whiskey? What's your choice these days? Is the word is... All of it an option? <laughs> hey, all of it could be an option. We like it all, man. But I, if I had to pick one, I would probably say uh, bourbon. I'd say hops. I, I love a good hoppy-ass IPA. There you go. I, I was going to say, I mean, being from Kentucky, one of you had to pick bourbon, right? Yeah, it's just the... Uh, I love the taste. I love the, the way it makes me feel. It's just a good... It's all around good. And then what drew you guys to music? Because you, you guys have talked about it. You've kind of been in it your whole life, um, one way or another. What drew you to music? Um, you know, I, my, my dad plays music, and uh, he always would play in church. So I, I grew up listening, watching him play church music. And, uh, and then, you know, as I got a little older, I got into more rock and roll. I always loved the classic rockers you know the stones and the beatles and things like that even as a young kid and um i was just always fascinated by music i started off on drums by drums i mean beating beating on the back of my mother's driver's seat kind of thing you know <laughs> stuff like that and tapping along and singing harmony and things like that it's just you know, my dad's side is very musical and there's a lot of living room jam sessions and stuff like that. So um, music has always lured me in and I've been addicted my entire life, I feel like. Man, I've, I've had a similar experience. This is Anthony talking. Uh, I I feel, I guess really, it seemed like everybody in my family loved music. They were aficionados. They all had their you know, favorite kind of music, but, um, I had a pretty well-rounded experience early on. Um, my mom, I, I have to give her really the most of the credit. I think she saw, um, that I had an interest in it and, and she, you know, pushed me to take some piano lessons when I was like nine years old. And, um, and then when we wanted a guitar and, and my dad bought us, uh, my brother and I bought us a guitar. It seemed like any, I guess I really should say both my parents, like, Anytime we expressed an interest, you know, in anything, because I used to do a lot of visual art stuff too. I guess I still draw and paint here and there, but that's what I really started doing at first. But when we mentioned, when my brother and I mentioned playing music, they were like, sure, let's do that. They never held back when it came, you know, to any of our uh, extracurricular interests. I think they, they always supported it. My mom definitely, you know, continued to push and really, I guess should, I should say, encourage 
me like to go, I, I went to music school. Um, and, uh, she always, I don't know. She made sure that like, I didn't lose focus on all those things. And I'm glad because I, I was, I was all over the place, middle school and high school. I was a honestly kind of a wreck. And, um, that I think, you know, my mom and my dad pushing us to my brother and I to play music and supporting that. It, I played in like metal bands and punk rock bands and stuff. And I feel like we got to get all of our confusion and angst out on, uh, on beating up the drums and turning up guitar amps and stuff, which is probably a lot better than, you know, I guess beating each other up or whatever. <laughs> and then what would you guys be doing if you weren't in music? Beating each other up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. I, I can tell you what I would like to do if I wasn't in music. That's a, a dream that will never come true. I, I wish I could be a professional golfer sometimes. That sounds like a really cool life because I'm terrible at golf and I'm, I don't know how those guys do it, but I don't know. I don't really have, I maybe, uh, I don't know. I'd be a stripper. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I wouldn't do full nudity. I still wear tassels and stuff. (laughs) You'd keep it classy, right? Yeah. Keep my cowboy boots on. Yeah. Maybe stop. Well, then that leads me into this this next one. Uh, who's the better looking one? Both of us. I feel like you guys planned that out. <laughs> and then you guys have gotten to do a lot of fun things. What What's the coolest place or coolest thing you guys have gotten to do because of music? The list is long. Yeah, that's a long list. Um this might be uh, too in general of an answer, but I think just meeting people, man, like one amazing byproduct of playing music is you just come in contact with so many different diverse people. And uh, man, we have met a lot of good people. Um, when we were on radio tour, we were like in 33 states in eight and a half weeks or something. And to be able to have that perspective of America in that short amount of time, it's a pretty overwhelming experience. I would say just that in general, that much travel is a, is a cool perspective to have of this country. You know, we realize that and everybody's swimming as hard as they can to keep their head above water and doing the best they can, you know? And man, you know, I, uh, I'm just to kind of second that I, I think music, you know, the creative arts, um, and just, we're speaking about music specifically now, but I, I definitely feel like it's, a, um, it's like a bonding agent, you know, with, for people when, when you don't know how to say the words you need to say or process the feelings you need to process or, or dream the dreams you need to dream or whatever. It's like songs kind of can be the, the vehicle for those things, as well as uh, maybe relationships that may not have otherwise been uh, formed or sealed or whatever, romantic or platonic. I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I know in our lives specifically, you know, music brought me and Brent together. And then the, through the bands that we've played and the friends that we've made playing shows, you know, I guess I don't like the word fans. I always feel weird saying that, but really the friends we've made, you know, at all these venues in Kentucky, Indiana, whatever state, it's like, I always find people start friends because some of those friends become friends with other people in this state. Like Indiana friends are now friends with Tennessee friends that would have never met if it hadn't been for a common interest in, a few of our songs and it's like I can't believe that we 
get to be a part of those relationships. Well, you get a front row seat. Yeah. It's kind of a little bit of matchmaking, you know, and sometimes maybe it is romantic. Like we had a, some good friends of ours. We, we played a, a show in Louisville, I guess it was like December. And uh, remember Randy and yeah, Laura, yeah. Randy proposed to, uh, to well, his now uh, fiance, Laura, I just stuff like that happening, you know, and it, it really is mind blowing to get, you know, just to watch those things unfold. It's, it can be slow and, you know, that stuff sort of takes years. Not, it's not instant gratification. It's not like, you know, a like on social media. Sometimes it takes a few years to see it all sort of unfold, but it's, it really has been a beautiful ride. And then my last question for you guys, what's in the name Everett and how'd you guys come up with it? <laughs> Everett. Uh, so it took us forever to come up with a band name. If any people trying to come up with the band, the hardest part I feel like is coming up with the name. Especially for us, I feel like because we had the music already, so we were trying to fit the name with the music and overthinking it and all that. But uh, we were in the studio still with no band name, um, recording some more songs, and took a uh, took a little break one day at the studio. And during that break, we put on a movie that me and Anthony used to watch on repeat in college when we were roommates because we had no cable and about four DVDs to watch. Pretty much all of them that we had stolen from our parents. Yeah. And uh, one of them was Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And uh, George Clooney's character on there is Ulysses Everett McGill. So uh, they went on, you know, the Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? is based on the Odyssey. So they go through this crazy journey and uh, to become the soggy bottom boys. And we've been on our own crazy journey. So we thought Everett would would fit us just fine. So that's who we are. And honestly, like at that when, when we found a name that we, we and that, that that name we agreed on immediately. But all before that, there were all kinds of names that were just terrible, terrible. I mean, like so bad. But we couldn't think of any good ones. And I mean, we were talking like double denim. Uh, <laughs> what was, I'm trying to. There were some. Uh, the butthole truckers was one. It was actually a joke at first, and then because we couldn't think of anything, like our friends and uh, I guess team around us in the music business would be like, Hey, are there any new, uh, butthole trucker songs? Like it became normal. It wasn't even funny anymore. Um, but thank God we landed on Everett. Oh, <laughs> uh, come on. I mean, double denim, that would have been great. Yeah. Uh, well, Brent, Anthony, I really appreciate you guys coming on. You can find them at we Anthony, Brent. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Man. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. Oh man, I had a great time talking with Brent and Anthony, better known as the country duo Everett. Their brand new album, Kings of the Dairy Queen Parking Lot Side A, depending on when you're listening to this, is either out now or out October 2nd. And you can catch our full interview with them talking about the album, how they get into writing, what it's like to write personal songs, all sorts of goodies. It's on our Bar Conversations podcast with them dropping Monday, October 5th. So check that out for the full interview with the country duo Everett. And now we're switching it up and joining us on the Hops and Spirits podcast is Adam Hall, brand manager for Boulevard Brewing in Kansas City. Adam, thanks for taking some time to have some beers and talk beers with us. I'm never going to pass up an opportunity to have a beer, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> so yeah, thank you for having me. This is really fun. No problem, Adam. My my first question, you know, and just so so folks know, I've got several beers in front of me that we'll be talking about throughout. I got the unfiltered wheat, the pale ale, the tank seven, cosmic IPA. Uh got a couple others that I'm saving for my wife, so I'll only get four today. 
<laughs> so, um, you know, w- when you look at the story of Boulevard, it's it, to me, it's an, an interesting story because you guys are every, I don't want to say everywhere. Now you're in over 40 states, several countries, um, but it was launched by John McDonald and it really didn't start in Kansas City technically or the U.S., but on a vacation for him in Europe. That is accurate. That is exactly what happened. He had just graduated college. Um, he and his wife to be had, uh, you know, it was really crazy. She's incredibly lucky person. She won a couple of uh, uh, tickets to go anywhere over the um, wherever uh, Transworld Airlines flew. And so she wanted to go to Europe. So she took John along with him and they had this two week uh, whirlwind tour. And Anne was spending time in museums and John was good for about half of those museums and he got thirsty. And so he wandered out of a museum into this Belgian beer bar in Paris called La Goose. And uh, he was met with a menu that wasn't a food menu. It was a beer menu. And, you know, he had grown up in the Midwest. His favorite, you know, beer was Bush Light. So for him to see a menu that had 300 styles and varieties of beer, it kind of uh, he had his what he calls his aha moment. Um, and so he really those spent those two weeks diving through those beers. Um, he, it took two weeks, but he did get through the menu. And the, the middle part of his trip is really blurry, as you might imagine. Um, <laughs> but he came back to the United States with this uh, appreciation of like the Belgian style of brewing and the English style of brewing and the German style of brewing and realized that there was, you know, and this was in the early 80s. So there was very few like craft breweries that were making that styles of beer. Uh, it was just he couldn't find it. Um, so but he's also an entrepreneur. He was a carpenter at the time. So he had a carpentry shop. And he just said, you know, if I can't find this beer that I fall in love with, I'm going to try and make it. And, you know, this is pre-internet. So he's basically sending carrier pigeons to Sierra Nevada and to Odell, you know, and like Free State and Lawrence, like trading techniques and and uh, and tips and tricks with those breweries. And, uh, and you know, he just kind of perfected his craft. And he got a lot of friends from being, you know, a, a brewer. He's, he's a home brewer, so he has beer to give away. Um, so enough people started showing up during the weekend when he was making beer and they enjoyed what he was doing. And uh, they encouraged him to take a little bit further. So he went and applied for a loan at 25 different banks in Kansas City, asking for a heck of a lot of money to start Boulevard Brewing Company. And every single bank said no, because I don't know if you know this, uh, but in Missouri, so we are on the west side of the state. And on the east side of the state is the largest brewery in the known universe, right? And so Mm -hmm. all the all the banks said there's no way you can compete with those guys. So they shot him down. So he had to crowdsource and, uh, you know, ask his friends and his parents and everybody that he could for money. uh, And he raised enough to get his space start accruing equipment, but you know, brewing equipment just wasn't available back in the day. So he had to source some equipment overseas. He got his first brew house from a very small brewery in Germany that had just kind of gone out of business. And in 1989, he was up and running. We sold our first keg of beer on November 17th, uh, 1989. So it'll be 32 years in like a month and a half. I was gonna say that's about as old as I am. So, <laughs> so <laughs> right, it's yeah. quite, it's quite, quite a journey, but I, I loved reading about it too. Cause you know, you mentioned he's a carpenter and how he got this up and running it, it was a lot of hard work and you know, two minutes doesn't, I guess, do it all, all justice, but you know, he began home brewing when he got home. You yep. mentioned he started reaching out to other breweries, put together his plant. He literally sold his house Absolutely. to help, help raise money and moved into where his carpentry shop uh, was and was living in an old uh, industrial building. Like, I mean, that to me is uh, dedication. Yeah. The first three years of, um, you know, the brewery's existence, John, and his wife, their bedroom was basically above um, hop storage and malt storage. Um, and then they had started having kids and they realized that a brewery is not, well, it's a fun place to visit <laughs> with kids. It's maybe not the safest place. Uh, so Anne was like, we've got to move out. And they ended up buying a house just like I'm, I'm at the top of our, rec, uh, of our tourism rec center right now. And if the leaves were off the trees, I think I could see the top of his house. That's how close he lives to the brewery. Um, and that's where, uh, so he sold his house over there and then bought a house over there. Um, yeah, that was dedication, man. He put everything that he had into it. 
and uh, and had no idea if it was going to take off. But as it turns out, the people of Kansas City are incredibly thirsty and we're looking for something local and new because we hadn't had our own brewery in like, I think it was like 30 years at that point. So. I was going to say, I mean, picking Kansas City to me, you know, nowadays you think, oh, big cities, you're going to have a bunch of breweries, but we're talking the 80s when craft beer wasn't really a thing yet per se uh, like it is now. And, you know, uh, pretty much Kansas City had, as you mentioned, had a, lost all of its breweries. I mean, they had a bunch of them back in the day and then they all kind of went away. Obviously, he lived in Kansas City, but was there ever a fear of, you know, it being in Kansas City? No, you know, I think he never really, honestly, when you talk to him, he never imagined that the beer would be distributed further than you could see from the brewery. I mean, the first place that bought our beer, the first place that we tapped our beer, uh, which the day that we consider our birthday, um, is a Mexican restaurant that's literally three quarters of a mile down the road on Southwest Boulevard. So we get the name Boulevard because of our location. John was very taken by this area of KC. Uh, the West Side and the street, you know, kind of became synonymous with him making beer. And so we took the name from the actual Southwest Boulevard, which is our address. And just down the road on Southwest Boulevard is a Mexican restaurant called Ponax, when it had already been in existence for about 20 years when John tapped his, um, tapped his first pale ale there uh, in 1989. And what's crazy is that bar already had regulars, right? It had people that were belling up to the bar, drinking the same three beers that they've been drinking for 20 years. So when John tapped that beer and these guys were the very first customers, they were the first people to pay for Boulevard beer. They all took a sip of this, you know, this American pale ale that was, uh, you know, at that time, probably really hoppy compared to what they were used to. And uh, each one of them took a sip and looked at John and told him not to quit his day job. And, you, know, <laughs> you, know, you know, the good news now is those guys are all dead. So, um, no, I don't know. But um, John had enough, you know, there was enough people who were fans of it who did like the beer and they encouraged him to, to kind of keep going. And then we live really close to a couple of big college towns, which would be Lawrence, Kansas, where uh, the University of Kansas is. And then... Um, Columbia, where, uh, you know, Mizzou is and those towns, uh, you know, college towns, they love drinking beer. So they helped those first few years our, as our beer kind of started leaving Kansas city, just a, you know, 45 minutes one way and a couple hours the other way that really like at one time, I think Lawrence, Kansas, where the university of Kansas is, they were, su- they were drinking more beer per capita than any other place, uh, at the time. Um, so and then those college students, they graduated, they started leaving Lawrence, they started leaving Columbia. And as they went on to their careers outside of KC, but staying in the region, they were like, man, I really miss my Boulevard Pale Ale, I really miss my Boulevard Unfiltered Wheat. And then that started letting us know that maybe there was a market where we could start sending our beer a little bit further and wider. I was going to say, and to me, the Pale Ale is, is, a, is an interesting one. <clears throat> when you think of what people start off with today when they're making things, you know, they make the IPAs you know, loggers, different things like that. The pale ale, which I, which I already went ahead and opened. I, I like it, <clears throat> but to me that seems like an unusual start. Cause you know, like you said, it may be a little more hoppy, a little bitter compared to what people are used to. I find that an interesting, you know, being the original one that you all are still making today and it's your big flagship. Well, you know, the thing is our brewers, they make beers that they, and, and this goes back to John when he was a brewer, they like making beers that they want to drink. And John, when he came back from Europe, he was enamored with these really easy drinking, like English ESBs and the, you know, the British pale ales, uh, things that had a lot of like malt sweetness to it. But there was just, you know, there was a hop element just to kind of balance that a little bit. And that's what he wanted to perfect. And when he was a home brewer, he was just making it because he wanted to drink it. And that was just the first beer that he had dialed in. And that was the first, first and only beer that we launched with when we, you know, when he started selling beer in 89. 
And then, um, you know, he brought over like the wheat beer recipes from from Germany, kind of the Hefeweizens, but he didn't have that belt, that uh, German yeast strain. So he was using the same yeast basically for the pale ale. So it kind of created this American wheat beer and which didn't take off. It is wheat beers are uh, unfiltered wheat is our most popular beer by leaps and bounds. Um, it's it's wild. It's the best selling craft beer in Kansas City and in the region. But uh, originally it didn't sell that well because you know, he was filtering it at the time. And it was a draft only, and it just looked like any other beer on the bar. And then before he pulled the plug on it, he was just like, screw it. I'm going to stop filtering it. I want to drink a hazy, uh, you know, cloudy wheat beer. And when he did that, that glass stood off. It stood out on the bar. People would see a hazy beer and say, well, what the hell is that? And then that beer is just so drinkable. It's so refreshing and zesty. And it's still very much a beer. You know, it's like, no, there's no hot presence whatsoever. So it was so approachable that the city just embraced it immediately and it completely eclipsed uh pale ale at the time and so it just and that let john know that people were ready to drink something that was new and different i was gonna say and i I love the unfiltered just um that that one to me it's got a nice citrusy kick it's really smooth um you know and I, i find it interesting that you know it took the unfiltered nature for people to really see what it was. And I, I, I love it. It's a perfect year round beer, no, no matter, no matter what the season absolutely, is. Absolutely. It pairs well with just about any kind of food you can think of. And then, and then the pale ale, obviously, you know, vastly different in my mind, but still same family. Um, you know, that one, you know, it's well balanced. It's got, um, you know, just a great set of flavors and I don't think it's that bitter either. Although I'm sure other people might, might think it is, but those are two to me, very, like I said, unique ways to kind of get things going. But I guess that goes back to his trip to, um, to Europe. Uh, yeah. yeah. To Europe. Yep. That's exactly right. And then as we kind of get back into the history of things, you know, when he started it all, it was a really small crew. Uh, they were pretty much doing everything and what I guess, you know, you guys mentioned you were doing a lot of kegs, things like that. But obviously to expand, you need a, a bottle line. I love that he it took him another round of asking everyone yeah, to get exactly a very right. beat up small bottling line. And I guess it, that's kind of when things took off, right? That's exactly right, man. Um, and you know that bottling line, his first bottling line wasn't a complete bottling line. It was parts made of other bottling lines. It was like the Franken bottling line. <laughs> and it was such a it was such a rickety thing that, you know, it would plug into the wall basically. And they had John had to hire someone to sit next to that outlet on a on a stool with a wooden broom handle. And then every time that, you know, the, the bottling line would run, it would shake the room so bad that that plug would come out. And if you've worked in any kind of packaging, the last thing that you want to do is stop bottling or, you know, something to shut off the filler when you're not, you know, when you're halfway through filling. So there would be someone whose job it would be would just to take that wooden broom handle and just push that plug back into the wall as it comes shimmying out. Um, it was a, it was rickety. It was loud. And it was what's really crazy. It was um, most of the parts came from Europe. So it was a lot of like metric engineering. So they had to fi- <laughs> they found a Volvo mechanic who lived in Kansas City. Uh, who was used to dealing with like, you know, the metric system basically uh, and had was used to to uh, to European engineering uh, to come and help keep that bottling line running uh, smoothly. Uh, but then we, uh, we, we upgraded a few years later. I was going to say that's that's amazing because, again, that goes back to that dedication of, you know, making things work and persevering uh, because, you know, obviously now if you go to go go and visit, it looks totally different than it did back in <laughs> back in the day. Uh, but but I also find this very interesting. Um, 
you know, you've had a couple expansion projects. I believe you guys were basically told, man, you probably just need to leave this place. It's you're, you've outgrown it. Uh, you, you need a nice new shiny home. And John basically said, no, this is where we were born and this is where we were staying. That is exactly, you know what? That is exactly what happened. We had to, we had gotten to a point where the demand for our beer was higher than our ability to make it. And we needed to expand. We needed to increase fermentation space. We needed to increase the brew house size because at the time, you know, up until about 2005, we were working on a 35 barrel system, which is only 70 kegs. If you think about it, 70 half barrel kegs, uh, every output. And it just wasn't enough to keep up with our, we were doing about a hundred thousand barrels of beer a year. So that, 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 you know, the brew house was running literally nonstop and the brewers couldn't leave. And that was just to keep up with demand for unfiltered wheat and pale ale. So something had to give. And yes, everybody said, look, you live in Kansas city. There's so much room in Kansas. You could go buy huge plots of lands and just have a big sprawling uh, campus. But John was dedicated to KC and to this area. So instead of growing out, we grew up. So in 2007, we broke ground on our, 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 what is our brew house too? our second brew house. Uh, it's a 70,000 square foot, three story building that houses our brew house. It houses our bottling line, our keg line, a couple of hospitality suites and all of our administrative offices, which if you come to the brewery, all of our administrative offices, all of them, you know, if you work here, if say you're an accountant, your uh, cubicle comes with two uh, tap beers of your choice, just right there at your desk. I, I that's love not true. That. I'm lying. Oh, I'm just, that's, that. that's a joke. Oh, that's a joke. On. But you know, but the, the thing about working at a brewery is that you're never too far away from uh, from a set of tap handles. So if they get thirsty, they know where to get beer. They they, just, they can just walk downstairs, right? That's exactly right. <laughs> just down the hall. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I love because obviously when you're you're doing, uh, it's it's kind of a weird thing to think about, and I don't know if everyone automatically understands this. You know, you mentioned the unfiltered wheat, the pale ale. Well, when you're distributing those and they're doing gangbusters that limits kind of what you can put in tanks and what you can brew otherwise. Um, so I'm sure the expansion project lets you guys kind of open up a little bit. Um, but I, I love one of the things that, that John and, and the, and the crew did there too, was the smoke uh, stack series. Yeah. And, you know, I've got the tank seven here, the American Saison. So, um, yeah. Which is, I find that kind of very interesting because it's a series of different things uh, that were, I guess, a little more flavorful uh, might be a, the right way to say it or the wrong way. I'm not sure. Sure. No, I think you're right. <laughs> so this, the Smokestack series was just our way of kind of like delineating two different like styles. So, you know, people were so familiar with seeing uh, pale ale or, or unfiltered wheat or bully porter um, in our heritage style short bottles. So we these beers, the Smokestack series, we just needed a way to like let the customer know like, Okay, so yeah, you're going to pay a dollar more for this beer, but you're what you're getting is a more complex beer. You're going to get a style that is a little bit more maybe left of center than what we're used to. Um, when we launched the Smokestack series, we did uh, we had a saison. It was just like a straight up saison. It was delicious, uh, but it just didn't quite resonate at the time. We uh, we launched with a like an imperial stout, the Dark Truth, um, which we still make today. Uh, we did a, a, a Belgian quadruple with the six class, which is again, something we still do today. We did a triple that we, we, we were very fond of, but it just didn't quite catch on. Um, but it did well for a while. And then, you know, tank seven is it, that is our, our, probably our most popular beer, like outside of Ken in Kansas city. I mean, it's amazing how well it does, but that's the beer that if we want to send beer to a new market or to a new area, we're going to send tank seven. Cause you know, no matter where you live, somebody that you probably know owns a brewery and is making a wonderful pale ale and a wonderful wheat beer. So it's hard for us to say, okay, here we, you know, we're Boulevard from Kansas city. Um, like for example, if we're going to go to, you know, to, to Virginia where I'm from, 
you know, uh, there's a lot of great breweries there. Uh, but Tank 7 was unique enough that we could send that out because at the time, Saisons were relatively new on the scene. And not only were Saisons relatively new and not a lot of people were doing it, but to have a dry hop Saison, which even added more, a little bit more depth and complexity. Uh, no one had was really doing that at the time. And it really showcased our brewer's ability to make these world-class beers. And, you know, people would drink Tank 7 and say, okay, damn, this is a great beer. Maybe they would look for other beers from Boulevard. And then we could kind of follow Tank 7 in with some of our core brands like the, you know, like the Pele or the Wheat, um, Space Camper, those kinds of things. Uh, but Tank 7, yeah, it took off. And that one was a happy accident. That was a fermentation <laughs> tank that was, that was a little bit persnickety. You know, we, the story that we tell is, is a happy accident. But really what it was is we were making a beer called Saison Brett. And we're using some Britannomyces that our brewmaster, Stephen Palace, had brought over from Europe. And Brett's a little bit um, finicky. It's hard to propagate up. It's hard to get it to do what you want it to do when you want it to do it. So we had a uh, fermentation tank full of this uh, this Saison, which we had dry hopped with a hell of a lot of Amarillo hops. But the Brett just hadn't propped up enough for us to to do anything with it. We you know we we're going to dose the bottles with it, and we so that the you know that Saison just sat in that tank and fermentation tank number seven. And the brewers, um, you know, at the end of their day, we have a little patio. They would, you know, go to the to the sample valve from the tank and then you take that beer out to the patio and people say, what are you drinking? And they're like, well, I, we don't know whatever's in tank number seven. And then more and more people would go and, and draw beers from that tank. And then it just became the, uh, like a brewer favorite. Like they were like, this dry hop saison is great, even without the bread in it. So we took it to a couple of beer fests and it was uh, it was crowd favorites. You know, it was the favorite of the festival. So that's when we knew like, oh, if, uh, if the brewers are, are fond of it and, uh, and customers are fond of it or just casual drinkers are fond of it, then we knew we were onto something. Uh, and so it was a little risky move to take an eight and a half percent dry hop saison out on the market, but um, people are enamored with it. And, I, and me too. It's probably one of my favorites. What if it's probably what I'm drinking? If I'm out at a, a bar, or restaurant, I'm drinking Tank Seven with my food. Um, I, I was gonna say I, I love it. I just tasted it. it. It is definitely a little drier. You get a little, a little more hoppy than you may think of a normal saison all those saisons and 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 things like that you, you know they run a gamut uh of what they could be but the citrus comes through it's it's got that fruity a little bit of fruitiness yeah it's a lot I of mean, great it, it's not hard yeah it's not hard to see why someone picks that up and, and uh goes hmm, what else do they got because that that's a, a really good beer thank you thank you yeah we're very fond of it and eight and a half percent abv you know yeah, you know, if you if you if you come come visit us in Tank Seven, come hang out with us in the brewery for a while. If you sit in our beer hall for uh, about, if you sit there for an hour, you'll have at least one or two people who live here that want to come up and tell you their Tank Seven story. And a Tank Seven story always starts with every, everyone's got one, but it always starts with one time I drank so much Tank Seven that I, and you know, and then it never ends with like read to my children, or, you know, or volunteered. It's always like lost a shoe. You know, mm-hmm. or, or, uh, you always get those great stories, right? Yeah, yeah. Everybody's <laughs> got a tank seven story. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, your beers, the, the lineup has, has grown over the years. I'm going to uh, crank, crank open the uh, cosmic uh, IPA, the space space camper, space camper yeah. now, but you know, you guys have a very interesting uh, year round lineup. Um, and I'm guessing that goes back to that trip to Europe, the Belgians, the things like that, because you don't have a ton of IPAs, even your seasonals. I didn't didn't look like you had a ton of IPAs. You, you kind of spice up the weed a little bit and do some different things that way. Uh, so what can people expect with the, all the other beers that you guys have? So, you know, the IPA thing for a very long time, um, John was hesitant to, to make an IPA just because he likes, he always liked beers that had balance. I mean, he was all about beers that balance. 
But IPAs quickly, and also being in Kansas City, we're so far away from the coast where we don't really have access to you know, just wonderful hop growers and producers and having those hops readily available. So those are two things that we just kind of like, well, you know, maybe we'll stay out of the IPA game for a while. But then our brewers, uh, you know, you know, you look at hops as like a cooking spice and the brewers are like chefs. Uh, they're like, we like cooking with every ingredient that we can. We like making recipes using every ingredient at, at our disposal. So in 2007, we um, we made a big double. We went straight for like I mean, we went ham. We we're like, you know, we're, we're going to make a double IPA. <laughs> and that, and double wide. Go big or go home. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was a big, uh, you know, we called it a double IPA, but we, it was probably closer to a barley run really because John was like, no, oh, let's see, there needs to be some balance there. Um, but then once they really got, you know, to playing around and experimenting with hops and we had some good, um, you know, Stephen Powell's our brewmaster who spent some time on the coast, like really getting to know the hop growers and producers and the varieties out there. We realized that we wanted to play around some more. So uh, shortly after double wide came single wide. Um, and that was just our, uh, it was a 5% really malt forward, you know, again, super balanced, but easy drinking IPA. And that's kind of where we lived for a little while until we realized that like people were clamoring for West coast style IPAs. And then eventually like the, the Northeast style IPAs and our brewers, like we think we're up to the up to the task, but we're still in the Midwest. So we're not going to try and reinvent the wheel. We're not going to try and do what other people are doing. And that's where space camper came from. Space camper came. It was a, um, it was like a collaboration. It was the brewers had uh, pals. Our, our brewmaster had challenged all of our brewers to like, Hey, I want you to just go crazy. I challenge each and every one of you to come up with an IPA recipe. We're just going to put it on the beer hall. It'll just be experimental. We'll make a small 35 barrel batch and just play around with hops. And then we had this one test IPA where we had used um, El Dorado hops and that beer flew out of the beer hall and we're like, okay, we're onto something here. We need to do something with this. And we had just, um, we had just sampled jam band at a comic co mm. comic book convention here in Kansas city. And we, and what we found out was like, the, and I'm, I'm, I, I fit this bill, but we found out that nerds love beer. And I'm, I'm, I've, I have a whole marble yep. sleeve. So I'm, yep, I, I lovingly stay nervous. I got a TARDIS <laughs> on my arm. So um, we sampled and we ran out of beer at this, at this Comic-Con and we had to drive back. We had to take a van to the brewery, load up with more beer and then shuffle it back that Saturday. And so, you know, the following week we got together with the product, with production, with the brewers and our marketing department. And we're like, we need to make a beer for nerds. And I was like, basically saying, we need to make a beer for me. Right. Um, and so our, our marketing team said, well, we we have, you know, we have a, a wonderful idea for something that's a branding that's not used to anything we've ever done. And the brewers are like, well, we're looking for something for this Eldorado, this test Eldorado. And those two things, I mean, it was like chocolate and peanut butter, you know, they came together and boom, uh, Space Camper, we launched it two years ago and it is now our number three volume beer, which is insane to me that it's been too, like, it's only been around for two years. You have like Unfiltered Wheat, which has been around for almost 30 years. Tank 7, which is celebrating its 13, 14th year uh, birthday this year. And then Space Camper, which we just launched. And this, it's it's in its sophomore year right now. And it's the best, I mean, it's the best selling IPA in Kansas City. And in the region, it's just on fire. Uh, but it's just because it's a well-made, easy to drink, approachable. You know, it's not aggressively bitter. We really showcase a lot of the fruit and a lot of the citrus and the hops. There's just a little bit of I mean, without being a, a, like a juicy milkshake, hazy IPA from the Northeast, this is kind of our Midwest take on uh, an almost sessionable, slightly hazy IPA. But just really, we wanted to make a, an IPA that you could have more than a couple of in a sitting, you know, without blowing your taste buds out. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> just this is the first time I've ever had 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 the 
the the cosmic IPA, the space camper, and I'm not a big IPA guy f- for kind of the reasons you stated there. Some sure, them, yeah, I get you it. know, some of them you know come at me a little little strong. I joked with my wife the other day. I, you know, maybe in five years that that'll be all my taste buds can can uh, you know finally find some flavor. But sure. this is really approachable, and it is really it's definitely I you know say I don't want to say lighter side, but you know you definitely it's something that anyone could could kind of walk into and go, you know what, I want to try an IPA today. And this right here would be a great one to try. Yeah. I think in the, you know, here at the brewery, when people come and visit us, I think this is one of those where people are like, well, I'm not really sure about IPAs. Um, we almost, we kind of call it the gateway IPA. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not aggressively bitter. It's not incredibly hoppy on the nose. There's just, it is hop forward for sure, but it's really juicy. Uh, it's fruity. There's a lot of citrus and we think that it's approachable. And, you know, and then we're like, okay, now if you, if you get that bitten by the IPA bug, start looking at breweries on the West Coast or start looking at some of the breweries in New England and you can really dive in to that, you know, to that, that, uh, that mystery world of, of hop driven beers. And then obviously, you know, we, we talked about the expansion there, the, you know, the, the bigger facility, um, right before you hop, uh, hopped on or I hit the record button, you were talking about, you're kind of finding the one quiet place at, at one of the bars, but you guys have a pretty cool facility where people can go and tour. You got the rec hall, you know, where people can come and enjoy some beers. What can people expect if they do get the chance to go and visit Boulevard? Well, you know, this 2020 has, is, has presented a lot of challenges, you know, prior to 2020, we are, um, we would have thousands and thousands of people that would visit us every month looking to take a tour or try our beer. Um, it is when you come to Kansas city and you look at like the chamber of commerce and they say like, what should we do in KC? The top of the list is go to Boulevard. And it doesn't matter if you like beer or not beer. Uh, we're talking like world-class tours. Like if you want to learn about how to make beer, if you want to learn what it takes to operate a brewery, we, we have visitor experiences that can uh, provide that for you. Um, Obviously, right now it's challenging with the, this climate to do tours, but we still want to create a visitor experience that's really rich. So even if you came to our brewery today, the beer hall is open. It's really safe. We're you know we we are abiding very strictly by the CDC guidelines, um, but the, we have this big three hundred person you know almost Bavarian style beer hall where we have all of our year round beers, some of our limited release beers. We've got test beers on. We've got beers that if you try today won't be there tomorrow but something else will be. And then that beer won't be here, you know, won't be there on Friday. Uh, so there's a lot of really fun ways. Um, and then we do have, we still are trying to do some visitor experiences. We have, you know, in our tours and rec or in our, um, like our, in our visitor center, we have some people that, uh, know a hell of a lot of, of, about beer. Um, some just, you know, with some, some great Cicerones on staff. And if you came, you could do this. Uh, we, we, we still try to create an interactive experience where um, you can come and sit with one of our Cicerones and they will take you through some of our year round beers or some of our smokestack beers and really talk about how that beer is made. But more importantly, um, we provide like, like food and we kind of, it's almost having like a, like a beer dinner without the actual dinner part. I mean, you know, we want to tell people how you can take this beer home or if you're at a restaurant, how to pair beer with whatever's on that menu and create an elevated experience. So it's really fun. Um, if you have any interest in learning about beer and food and how that works together, we have, a, so a barrel aging has become a big part of our process. I mean, you're in Kentucky. I don't need to talk to you about, about whiskey barrels. <laughs> um, but we have, you know, right now, I think we've got something like 5,000, um, barrels, both whiskey barrels and wine barrels with beer in them, uh, or something in them that's aging that, that our brewers are going to blend. Um, it's the, you know, the barrel house is just incredible to visit, uh, 
And then we've got amphoras that we're aging beer in. We've got punchins that we're aging beer in. We've got fooders. Um, so part of that visitor experience is learning about um, barrel aging as well, barrel aging beer, because it is, you know, we have two year round uh, barrel aged beers, which it blows my mind whenever I think about it because of how uh, finicky barrel aging beer is. You can't always predict what's going to come out of that barrel, but our guys are, are, you know, our brewers have gotten so good at blending that we can have whiskey barrel stout or BBQ, which, which we sent to you, that bourbon barrel quad, which is our quad that has been um, aged in whiskey barrels and then blended with a, like a cherry puree. Uh, and that is consistent, you know, wherever you are in the world, if you're buying a BBQ, it's going to taste the same every time you buy it. And that's just banana cakes that, that our guys have gotten so good at consistently blending these barrel aged beers. And then, you know, we have wild beers, we have sour beers. We, uh, it's a big, the barrel aged beer is a, a big part of what we're doing right now. And when you come to visit us, you can, uh, really do a deep dive into that as well. It's, I, it's really, if you're a beer nerd at all, and you have any interest in learning about barrel aging, uh, there's a couple of unique experiences that we have for you here. And then before I get to my last question, obviously, you know, you guys are, are, you know, pushing, you know, your mid thirties now you've been around the block for a while. Our back uh, hurts but, a little bit. It's harder <laughs> to get out of bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Sure. But you know, and, and you guys have now become part of a, a collection of kind of artisanal breweries from across the world, but John McDonald was still there. He's still showing up. And what'd you say? Those, those green boots and, uh, oh, yeah, uh yeah. you know, so I mean, how, how important is he still to this company? even though maybe the family uh, of ownership has changed just slightly. Well, so I'll tell you, so kind of a romantic story here is, um, you know, John, and he's still very much involved. So in 2013, we, that was when we were, we really exploded. Like we realized that distribution was um, that people all over the nation and then a, a few countries overseas were drinking our beers and we had to, we had to grow or die. I mean, that was it. We, we could not keep up with demand. And if you can't keep up with demand, if you can't keep your product on the shelf, um, you just can't survive. You know, people will just come to expect that it may not be there. So we had some real tough decisions to make. We needed to grow. Uh, and so John and, and Stephen Powell's our brewmaster, uh, had real strong ties and connections to Belgium. So uh, like Duval Mortgat, you know, but they've, they've been making beer for almost 150. Actually this year, next year will be their 150th anniversary. Um, they're, you know, the, the probably the best beer in Belgium. Um, they were in, they were looking for like, like a small regional craft brewery that they could partner with in order, you know, they, they wanted to get their Duval here in the United States, but they also wanted to find a brewery that they can invest in and help prop up and expand and grow. So in 2014, we became part of that family, which means, you know, today we, it just, we have great siblings. We, you know, we have a sister brewery on the East coast in Cooperstown, New York, brewery Oma gang, and we have a sister brewery on the West coast. Uh, and Paso Roble, the Firestone Walker. We're really, really proud and you know honored to be part of that team. We have access to, you know, Firestone Walker's brewing techniques and their brew. Their you know, their brew team is amazing. They come visit us all the time. And same with Omegang. So, so John was able to kind of step away from the the business operations of it and really kind of uh, explore more of the you know production side and the brewery side and the visitor experience side. Um, and you know, when he sold the brewery, you know, people thought like he was just going to disappear and move off to Bora Bora. Um, but he didn't, you know what he was like, you know, well, I am probably going to buy a new car and he bought a used Prius cause that's the <laughs> kind of guy that he is. Right. Um, he was like, I'm going to upgrade. I'm getting rid of this truck and I'm going to buy this Prius that's four years old. Um, and yeah. And so he's still very much involved. He's still very much here. He's, you know, he's on the board of directors. He's still, um, we rarely do we make any big moves without, you know, 
going to him first because we know this is his legacy. But he also has two kids, um, Jake and Piper. And so Jake, uh, he works here in, in, at the brewery, and I think he's held every job that you can. Um, he's done a little bit of everything. And Piper, she was a French major when she was in, in school. And so now Piper, she, you know, it worked out pretty well for her because now she is the boulevard, uh, like representative in France. She lives in Paris. So what's really insane is that John gets to go back to visit his daughter Piper in Paris. And then, you know, he can go visit Lagouze, that bar that inspired him to get into this business. And they have tank seven on tap. So it's mind blowing to me to think about how it has come full circle for him, for him to be inspired somewhere that's 3000 miles away you know, 30 some odd, 35 years ago. And then now he can go back to that same place right now and drink a beer that he made. That's bananas. That, that That's amazing. And then the last question is what's next for Boulevard? Obviously 2020 is an interesting year to say the least. Oof, um, and yeah. that has brought in some, some, <laughs> some challenges, but you know, obviously everyone still has to look to the future, whatever that may be. What's next for Boulevard? Because obviously you guys are, are doing gangbusters. The unfiltered wheat's delicious. I love the tank seven. The pale ale um, is, is, is one that I never knew about and is great. And the cosmic IPA that I just tried is one that I could go, you know what? I could pick that up uh, from time to time when, I, when I'm feeling frisky. So what's sure. next for you guys? Well, I hope you do. And and so Space Camper next year, um, so Space Camper herself. You know, so if you look at that can, you know, she's sitting there. And we've always said that that she is almost kind of like a hero. And her mission is to um, to save the earth because it's the only planet with beer. So for the past two years, we've used Space Camper to kind of launch um, initiatives with Arbor Day Foundation. So we've planted like 20,000 trees last year. We planted 10,000 trees this year. Uh, next year, we're going to go even bigger. Um, next year, her universe is, you know, we're, we're tongue in cheek universe, but we're going to see some brand extensions. Uh, she, her universe is going to get a little bit bigger. We've got a dual hemisphere IPA that's going to come out in January in that Space Camper line. We've got, um, we've got a really big, juicy Imperial IPA that's going to come out later. We've got a West Coast IPA, all in the Space Camper family. And as you know, because her world is getting bigger, we want to make sure we're taking care of ours. So next year, we're launching the 7% for the Planet campaign, where 7% of all the proceeds of, uh, or all the profits of, of Space Camper are going to go back into local charities who have dedicated their... Um, they made their mission to take care of the earth. So we're going to be pulling plastic out of the oceans. We'll be planting more trees. We'll be taking care of hiking trails and you're trying to act locally as much as we can using space camper as a, as a way to communicate, you know, cause John is, um, McDonald, he has always founded, he's always operated with the, like, you know, he wants to have very, uh, he, like work ethically. Like he knows that the planet is providing the ingredients to make his beer. So like, if you come to the brewery, you'll see that we're zero, um, we're zero carbon, we're like a neutral footprint. Um, we're zero waste. Nothing goes out to, to landfills out of here. We recycle, we repurpose, we, we reuse everything that we can. Um, stuff that we can't recycle, we send to a plant that uses it for, burns it for energy and turns it into concrete. Uh, John created a company called Ribble Glass here in KC because Kansas City didn't have a good glass recycling solution. So he took it, he was like, he realized a lot of Boulevard beer bottles were going into landfills and he wasn't happy about that. So he started Ribble Glass, which has now reached out to like eight different states, but it's just it makes it convenient for if you don't have curbside glass recycling, there's a Ripple Glass bin that's in your neighborhood where you can drop off your glass. So the, there's a lot of those initiatives that Boulevard is very much, we want to take care of the earth. Um, because again, we know that, you know, we see the, the effects of climate change right now on the West coast and how the hops, uh, hop growers right now are having a real hard time. So we want to make sure that we're doing whatever we can to 
can, you know, to, to make it easier to continue to grow the ingredients that we need to make beer. Adam, that is amazing. You touched on a couple of questions that I was kind of going to leave off because of how long, you know, we've been chatting about some good beers, but what Boulevard does is amazing. The sustainability, you know, zero landfill, ripple glass with the recycle, glass recycling, solar power pack, everything down to even the packaging is recyclable, recyclable. Yeah. Um, and then you guys make great beer on top of it. So it's hard not to be a big fan of Boulevard and Adam. Uh, I hope you guys keep doing some great things and, and thanks for coming on here. Thank you, Jonathan. This is a blast, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Thank you again to Adam Hall of Boulevard Brewing for coming on to talk their beers with us and have a beer with us. Um, like I said, if you guys have not tried Boulevard, they are doing some great things. The Tank 7 is wonderful. The Unfiltered Wheat is absolutely a great beer that you must try. And remember, starting next week, we've got our Whiskey Weeks debuting with George Dickel's Nicole Austin. Whiskey Weeks is presented by Ober Gatlinburg. And if you're not following us on social media, like Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Hop Spirits, all one word, you might miss out on our next giveaway. So make sure you follow us and like us there. And I also want to give a shout out to our partner in crime, One Sip Beer Review. You can find them on Instagram at One Sip Beer Review. They do near daily beer reviews. They do some fun videos, some fun giveaways. You need to check them out again at One Sip Beer Review on Instagram. And until next time, cheers, everyone.